Let me start again. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary of doing good. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for this day, for the gift of your presence among us, for our brother and sisters who to be confirmed and received. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. For we know that it is your Holy Spirit working within us that allows us to do good and allows us to see the fruit of, the, of our labor. I pray now, dear Lord, the anointing of your Spirit upon me. I pray that the words that I share will not be mine, but yours. And then, Lord, we pray that you'll open our hearts and minds to hear what you would have us hear and then allow us to put that into practice. And we ask this in the name of our one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning to you all. Good morning. It is a, a great honor and pleasure to be with you again here at Jesus the Good Shepherd. I say this all the time. I, I so enjoy coming out and joining you. And this is in this, uh, this church family, this, this body of Christ. It is an amazing and wonderful place. And I'm always blessed by joining you. I'm blessed today to be able to confirm Harry Blaine Giles and Sophie Lee Strimple McCann. Did I get that middle that one right? Strimple, good. And to receive Kellyanne Wolski. To receive Kellyanne Wolski. Now, this is an interesting Sunday. It's the penultimate Sunday to the end of our liturgical year. Next Sunday, we'll celebrate the Feast of Christ the King. And we have a turn in the scriptures. You, you read today through the three scriptures uh, about the, the coming of the end, about uh, what signs and, and wonders we're to see before um, the destruction comes, before the apocalypse comes. Now, let me ask you a, a question. What do you think of when you think of the end times or when you think of the apocalypse? For me, I am immediately drawn back to 1976. I'm 15 years old. I've been invited to go to um, uh, Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa for a, a, a concert. I've gone with two of my friends, and I'd never been to a service like this. I'd only been a Christian for about a year and a half, and I'd only known a liturgical service. So... This was really different. I loved it. It was you know, great music and all sorts of stuff uh, going on. There were thousands of young people there. And we got to the time of the sermon. And, and at the sermon, the, the preacher got up and he gave a very, a very interesting and, and a lively sermon about, you guessed it, the end times. Now, he was really clear it was coming in about two weeks. And I'm not kidding. I mean, he was really... It was really clear it was coming about two weeks. And I have to tell you, by the end of that 30-minute sermon, I was scared. And at that time, they had um, the altar call, but it's kind of a misnomer because there was no altar to go down to, so it was really a stage call. And people, so the lights dimmed and the music was playing and people are coming down. And then as it starts to trickle, the, the preacher just says in a very dramatic and I would say now manipulative way, Father God, I know that there is one man sitting in this auditorium. 
And He desperately wants to come up. He desperately wants to give His life to you, but He's got an anchor weighed around His neck. In the name of God, release that anchor and bring Him forward. And boom! Me and about a hundred other guys. Him running down. Now, I had forgotten at that moment that I'd already given my life to Christ. I'd been baptized and, and confirmed because I was so caught up in the emotion... This is it. When I left the prayer and we went back for a little prayer in the back room, I was so sure of my salvation and so worried about the salvation of every other friend and family member that I have, Christian or not, they just weren't saved enough, if you know what I mean. Well, that was a Sunday night and the following Monday, excuse me, the following Sunday, I got to church and spoke to our priest, Father David, and I shared with him, you've got to up your message, man. We've only got a week left. Right? People got to be giving their lives to Christ. And he took me aside and he said, Eric, 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 just relax. Yes, the Lord will come again. But anyone who tells you the day or the hour doesn't know Scripture. Because Scripture is so clear to say no one will know the day or the hour. But here's the thing. Because you don't know the day and the hour, live every moment as if Christ might come back today. Not with fear, but with grace. See what you can do to love others and fulfill the great commandment. And everything else will fall into place. Well, that was the best advice I've probably ever gotten. We should, not live, uh, uh, we should not live in such a way that we are in fear, but living by God's love. We should emphasize God's righteousness over God's judgment, God's grace over God's wrath. And with the reminder that we can do nothing on our own, that Jesus did it all on the cross. We simply open our hearts, we receive Him and believe in His name, and we have nothing to fear about what is to come. Now, in the epistle lesson today from Second Thessalonians, St. Paul is essentially making the same argument to the people of Thessalonica. You see, he had written in his first letter that the end would come, and they were thinking, like Calvary Chapel, we got two weeks, right? And apparently some real problems had arisen. And so in verses 6 and 7 of, of chapter 3 of Second Thessalonians, he lays it out. He says, look it, as you wait, don't be idle. Be about loving others. Don't follow any other tradition but the tradition that I have given you that has come from Christ Himself and the apostles. And then he says powerfully, be imitators of Christ, as Paul is an imitator of Christ. And so it really begs the question for us, are we idle or active for the Lord? Are we following the great tradition or are we following a me tradition? And are we living a life that is worthy of imitation.
Well, let's do a little Bible study, shall we? We're in the um, third chapter of Second Thessalonians, beginning at verse 6. And Paul begins by saying, Now, we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. In the late 4th century, St. Jerome is reported to have said, Facet aliquid opores, ut semper te diabolos inviate ocuputum. Or loosely translated, be at work so that the devil may always find you busy. It's said that that was the impetus for Chaucer um, in Canterbury Tales to say, idle hands are the devil's workshop. But apparently, Paul is finding the same thing, right? Because he tells the people of Thessalonica, he says, don't be idle and, and don't be busybodies, because those two things, at least in his mind, go together. So friends, as Christians, we are not called to be idle. And this is a real challenge for modern generations, for millennials and those who are younger, who put such an emphasis on soul care, and taking care, not soul care, taking care of themselves. Now, this is not to say that we should not be at rest, right? We follow the fourth commandment. I had to look at them in my head there. We had to follow the fourth commandment, right? The, the, to, to keep the Sabbath day. And maybe what millennials are doing is pushing against what, what the great generation and, and boomers have done, which is uh, everything is modeled towards success. But what Jesus says and what Paul tells us is, don't be idle, be about love. If I were to ask you, what is the great commandment or, or what is the summary of the law, I'm sure you could tell me. Harry, would that put you off? If I ask you what, what the great commandment is? great commandment is to love with, uh, with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. Amen. To love God and set Him as our first priority before everything. Above friends, above country, above family. And when we do that, what we discover is that everything falls into place, right? We become better friends. We become better patriots. We become better sons or daughters, wives or husbands, fathers or mothers, when we put the priority in place, that God comes first. But Sophie, that, that great commandment has a second part to it. Do you remember what that is? So is we love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and you are to love, love your neighbor as yourself. That involves action. Right? We, we cannot simply love our neighbor and do nothing. St. James is really clear about that in his uh, epistle. When we look at the second chapter, he says, it's not enough to tell a friend who's hungry, oh, hey, I'll pray for you, go and, and be of good cheer, that we're called to put our prayer into action, that we're called to be the hands and legs and, and, and mouths and arms and heart of Jesus Christ. That it is 
It is an active life that we're called to. St. Benedict, the uh, the founder of the Benedictine order adopted as their motto, Ora et Labora, which means to pray and work. Both prayer and work are essential parts of life for a Christian. They go hand in hand. On the one hand, prayer is a great and powerful spiritual work. One who is at prayer is not one who is idle. But equally, on the other hand, our daily work, no matter what it is, without exception, can be offered to the Lord as part of our prayer. Well, secondly, St. Paul told the church in Thessalonica and us that not only are we not to be idle, he says in, in verse 6, walk in accord with the tradition that you received from us. Now, people often misunderstand what traditions are, especially when they, when they look from the outside at a liturgical church. They'll say, oh, the traditions are wearing vestments or saying the same prayer over and over again or you know, walking down or you have to dress up or, or, or be all uptight. Those are not the traditions of the church that we're talking about here. The tradition of the church is the great tradition. What St. Paul is saying is, what I have learned from Christ, I am passing on to you. This is, <clears throat> this is the great tradition. And one of the things that is happening across the ACNA, which I find really interesting, is that there is this whole movement of people. We have a, um, a, a, a large growth among 25 to 35-year-old, highly educated people who had left the evangelical church because they found it, uh, 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 well, shallow and, what's, what's it called, an inch deep and a while, mile wide or something like that, right? But here they find the traditions of the first and second century. That the words that we say at Eucharist are the same words our Lord said at the Last Supper and have been said over and over and over again, day in and day out, as Christians gathered. Or the teachings of, of the uh, church fathers. Right? We're not making up new things and how beautiful that is. Right? If anyone tells you God is doing a new thing, generally what they're saying is, I want to do something and I think I want God to, to bless it. Right? Not that God can't do a new thing, but I can tell you this, it's the same thing over and over and over again. It is a love that is more profound than we could ever ask or imagine. He's asking us in response to His love to pick up our cross and follow Him. He's asking us to live lives that reflect the love of Christ in a world that is deeply hurting. And if you think in any way that in the United States in the year 2022 we're very different from, uh, from uh, the first century, you are gravely mistaken. This last Tuesday in California, a measure was passed that allows for the murder of a child, 
of an unborn child up to the very moment of birth. If that isn't pagan, if that isn't just savage, I don't know what is. But Paul is not saying, hey, I want to pass on these traditions just so that you learn these traditions. What he's doing is saying, I want to give you a worldview. So for Kelly and for Harry and for Sophie, cling to the worldview that comes from the church. Cling to what uh, Richard Hooker said, that we are to base our lives on Scripture, tradition, and reason. In that order. Scripture first because God has spoken to us in His Word. I'd pick this up again, but it's so heavy right now. This, okay, whoa, this is a big one. Right? This is the Word of God written. It contains everything necessary for salvation. God has spoken to us. And the tradition is not how we celebrate Mass, though that has been taught, passed along. It's how the church has interpreted the Scriptures. Right? We have 2,000 years, but primarily in the seven great councils. We come to say, what do we believe as Christians? In a second, we're going to have the, the uh, confirmands and the receptand. I forget whether we're... And, and Kelly, who's being received, right? Um, lead us in the Nicene Creed. These are the same words that have been said since 325, 26... I should have looked that up. 325, right? That This is the outline of the faith. This is the great tradition. And then, of course, we add reason on top of that because Scripture doesn't, co doesn't cover everything. But we say, how does it fit in what we're looking at? Does it fit with Scripture? As we're looking at technology, as we're looking at medical advances, does it fit with Scripture? Or is it opposed to Scripture? The problem is that the world around us desires so much to follow the me tradition. It's, it's about me, and then what I think, and then maybe I'll look for how Scripture can justify what I'm saying. And then lastly, St. Paul makes a truly bold statement. He says, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. Now specifically in that, in that passage, he's saying, that we ought to mis imitate him in the way he's working and not being idle. But I think it goes so much more than that. Elsewhere in Scripture, he says that we are to be imitators of Christ. And of course, in imitating the apostles, we're imitating Christ. And Paul tells us through this over and over again in his epistles. Think of, of Ephesians chapter 5. One of the things that we have in the church, one of the marriage Scriptures that we have is Ephesians 5. And I've done 188 weddings, and in 188 weddings, only six people have asked for this scripture to be read. And that scripture is, wives, obey your husbands. Because they always forget the next part. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, an offering and sacrifice to God. Men, we are called to imitate Christ in loving our wives so deeply, so profoundly, so sacrificially that we represent Christ and His love for the church. 
But the question for all of us is, are we living lives worthy of imitation? Just saying that brings chills to me sometimes. Because I'm so aware of my own sin. And yet I know that God has called me to be so much more than my failings and to rely on His grace and strength. I remember uh, making my first confession when I got to seminary. It was 1983, I'm 21 years old, and uh, had gone to confession. I'm sure I, I you know, shared a whole bunch of things, but I remember sharing um, temptations towards lust. And my confessor, who later became the dean of Grace Cathedral in San Francisco, said, Eric, you don't see those as temptations, just embrace those as a way to express your love to others. And I, I just remember thinking, that just doesn't make sense. Right? That's just saying, do whatever you want to do, it's okay. True love is disciplined. A call to holiness is a call to discipline. It doesn't mean I'm going to fall. So Harry and Sophie and Kelly, you're going to fall. But Christ's arms are here, ready. All you have to do is say, forgive me. And that forgiveness is given you. I'm telling you here and now that the three of you and all of us are called to live holy lives that are worthy of imitation. We don't say that enough. I literally had never heard that growing up. I was baptized, confirmed, ordained a deacon, ordained a priest, and the first person who ever said that to me was the Jewish sheriff of San Diego when I was sworn in as a chaplain for the uh, sheriff's department in San Diego. He said, Father Eric, you are called to live a good and holy life, one that brings good repute to this department. Never do anything that will bring scandal or embarrassment to this department. And he said, I tell you one thing. As you're out there in the streets, as you're with my deputies, be real. Because they can smell BS a mile away. How sad that my bishop never said to me, you are called to live a holy life. Now, it was assumed, right? I'm, I'm not saying he, he said, you know, I'm called to live a licentious life or anything, but it was assumed. But I don't think we can assume that sort of thing. Friends, if we are followers of Christ, we're called to live a holy life that is clearly distinct from the world around us. It doesn't mean that we fall, doesn't mean that we, you know, any of those things, but it, it does mean that, that we can always come back. And every time... It's one of the reasons that we, every time we come to church, we reaffirm our faith in the Nicene Creed. We ask forgiveness for our sins, for those things done and left undone. We receive God's grace. We receive His, His, His uh, grace and love through the sacrament. And we're sent out into the world again to love 
and serve the Lord. And that only happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because if we leave it up to our power, we'll run out of steam in about 30 seconds. But with God the Holy Spirit, Sophie and Harry and Kelly, all things are possible. That you have been called, loved, and in a few minutes as I lay my hands on you and ask God the Holy Spirit to release the gifts that are with that, that He has for you, they're to be used for His glory and His grace. And I pray that each and every one of us as we hear that prayer will be asking God to do the same in us. That prayer goes like this. Almighty and ever-living God, we beseech you to strengthen these, your servants, for witness and ministry through the power of your Holy Spirit. Daily increase in them your manifold virtues of grace, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and true godliness, and the spirit of holy fear, now and forever. If you want to know how to live in the end times. Listen to that prayer. And ask God the Holy Spirit to release in you the power of love, wisdom and understanding, the virtues of grace, counsel, might, and the spirit of holy fear. And to that I say, Amen.